0: I mentioned uh, last week that this section of Mark's Gospel concerns Christ's journey to Jerusalem, his uh, final journey before his crucifixion. And uh, it's important to understand that this Gospel, uh, Mark's Gospel, and indeed all the Gospels, Uh, aren't just a a random collection of thoughts that the gospel writers wrote down as they remembered them. Uh, You might remember that John in his gospel uh, when he comes towards the end of the book says there were many other things that Jesus did. Uh, He says there were so many things that He feels sure that all the books in the world could not contain them. But the things which he wrote, he wrote that those who read them might believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, he chose certain events to talk about. Uh, Certain things he saw, he decided to write down. And it's the same with Mark. Uh, Church tradition says... He um, is largely writing off the eyewitness testimony of Peter. That is what ancient Christian sources say. And Mark is crafting this gospel in a certain way. He's not saying all he could say. He's choosing to tell us certain things about what Christ said and did to teach us. Uh, it's structured in a very precise way. The first half of the gospel concerns Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Uh, the second half uh, is to do with Christ's um, ministry in Jerusalem in the week before his crucifixion. And of course his crucifixion and resurrection and these two chapters, chapters nine and ten, are, if you like, more or less in the middle, where we read of the journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And it's worth noting how it starts uh, in Mark's chapter nine, verse thirty-three, as Jesus and his disciples start the journey down. Uh, It starts with a debate amongst the disciples. If you look at Mark chapter nine, verse 33, it says, then he, that's Jesus, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And Jesus teaches them. And he teaches them a path of humility. The disciples were worried about which one of them would be the greatest. But Jesus says there's a better way. And then at the end of this journey, when Jesus is finally reaching Jerusalem with his disciples, we have a similar account. Uh, this time it's not the disciples who are discussing, well, or all the disciples, it's James and John. And they ask Jesus that they might be given places of honour on Jesus' right hand hand and on his left when he comes into his kingdom, when he's glorified. And We learn that the disciples were very displeased with James and John, and we can understand why. Because they wanted the chief places of honour. So it's interesting. This journey starts with the disciples arguing about who will be the greatest. And it ends, or nearly ends, with them arguing about who is going to be the greatest, even as Christ himself is journeying to Jerusalem to sacrifice himself for his people. But I say it nearly ends with that passage, But Mark includes just one more story, one more event, before he talks of the entry into Jerusalem. Uh, This account of blind Bartimaeus. And as I was reading uh, this passage, uh, I was wondering, why does Mark end this section of his gospel with this story? Because Christ healed many blind men, presumably blind women as well. Now we read of some of them in the other Gospels. And yet, Mark chooses for 46, 47, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 verses to tell us about Bartimaeus. It even names him one of the few um, common people, if I can put it that way to be named in Mark's gospel. Why? Why does Mark put this event at the end of this section? Well, we get a clue when we see what this event and the previous event, James and John and the disciples arguing about who will be the greatest, when we see what those two events had in common. Did you notice the question that Jesus asked in both events? Now look at verse 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And then again, look at verse uh, 46 and 47. It says, now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And eventually read verse 51. It says, so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? He asked exactly the same question question. Two different events, two different requests, but Jesus responds the same way. He says, what do you want me to do for you? That's really the question I want to ask all of us uh, this evening. What do you want Christ to do for you? Because the way Jesus responds to these two different requests uh, is very instructive to us as we make requests of Jesus. They both came to Jesus. They both wanted something from him. But only one of them actually received exactly what they asked for. The disciples asked... Grant us that we might sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. Bartimaeus asked, Rabboni, or Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Now notice, uh, both the requests could be described, in a sense, as selfish, selfish. James and John want the position of honour. Positions of honour on Jesus' right and left hand sides. But it's not like Bartimaeus was asking for I don't know um, shelter for some poor homeless people. He was asking for himself, he was asking to see. And yet only one of those making requests received what they asked for so what I'd like to do for the rest of our evening is just look uh, at those requests and to see why Jesus responded in the way he did to one and why he responded in a different way to the other Uh, so let's look first at James and John and let's ask ourselves what was it that they really wanted What was it that James and John really wanted from Jesus? And it's fairly obvious what they wanted. What they wanted was honour. What they wanted was glory. Uh, You might say, if we're being charitable, that they just wanted to be near Jesus, and maybe that's part of... Of the request. Uh, But based on the response of the disciples to this request, and based on Jesus' teaching to them after this request in verses 42 and 45, 42 to 45, it's very clear what they really wanted was that position of honour and of glory. And we can all relate to that, can't we? We all, to some degree or another, want to be honoured and respected and to receive glory. We want people to see the good things that we have done, the things that we have accomplished. Or at least we're sad if they don't hear of them. That's what James and John's want. James and John want. Uh, They try to make a deal with Jesus that they may get the position of prominence and not the other disciples. Incidentally, uh, that teaches us something uh, about Christians. Uh, Don't be surprised when you see Christians who have bad motives, Sometimes in churches we um, understandably expect people to behave well, to have hearts of gold, and to be completely pure in their motivations. Sorry to disappoint you, but that is not always the case. Uh, People do not always behave as they ought. Christians do not always behave as they ought. Their motivations are sometimes not what they should be. Uh, We're told later in um, John's third letter. Interestingly, it is John. The same John who makes this request here writes in 3 John about a man called Diotrephes. And we're told that Diotrephes, who was a leader in the church, loved the preeminence. He loved to be number one. He loved to be seen as important. And John knew all about that feeling because he demonstrates it himself in this event that happened many years earlier. It's not good. It's not good that Christians sometimes have these motivations and a lot of harm comes from it. But we shouldn't be surprised when we see it. It shouldn't rock our faith when we see it. It happened right here amongst Jesus' own disciples, amongst two of his closest disciples. People who you would have thought would be the least likely. And yet we see they have uh, bad motivation. What does Jesus say to the request? What does jesus say in response look at verse 38 jesus said to them you do not know what you ask you do not know what you ask jesus corrects their requests he says you don't understand what it is you are asking Uh, the disciples desired honor and respect and glory but they didn't understand that such things cannot simply be granted Uh, that's not how honor works Uh, they if you like wanted to as it were win the lottery Uh, they wanted all the money without all the hard work of having to earn it They wanted the shortcut to honour. But Jesus says there is no shortcut to honour. The honour of being seated at his right hand and on his left. Honour cannot simply be bestowed in that way through a slightly underhanded deal. That would not be true honour. It's a little bit like, you know, the story of Aladdin. And you know how Aladdin has granted three wishes and he asked to be made a prince. Now in the story that happens, but we all know that that's impossible. How can you be made into a prince? Well the only way you can really be a prince is by being the son of a king or perhaps marrying a princess. And even that doesn't always make you a prince. To be a prince isn't something that can merely be bestowed. Something else must happen. You must, as it were, grow into it. And it's the same with honour. Jesus says to James and John, if you want to share my honour, then you must walk my path. If you want the honour that I will have, you must walk the same path I walk. Look what he says in verse 38. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? If you want to be seated at my right hand and at my left, you must be willing to walk the same path of suffering that I must walk that's the only way to that sort of honor and this is a lesson that we must all learn today Uh, we hear a lot in our society about self-esteem don't we Uh, and children are taught that you must respect yourself you must esteem yourself and I'm sure there is a sense in which because we're all human beings and we're all made in the image of God, there is an innate respect that we all have simply by virtue of the fact that we're human. But there's a danger. There's a danger in telling people to think highly of themselves before they have developed the competence to match So you get people who can't do anything thinking they can do everything. But that's foolish. If you want to have true self-esteem, focus on growing in competence in a certain area. Think of a soldier in the battlefield. Uh, Don't simply give a boy a gun And tell him how great he is and shove him into the battlefield. He'll be terrified. Uh, It doesn't matter how much you tell him how great he is. Even if he believes you, it won't be true. If you truly want him to have a healthy self-confidence, teach him how to use that gun. Teach him how to fight. Teach him how to grow strong. And then he'll have a self confidence, a right self confidence, a healthy confidence, rooted in competence, not just merely in a statement someone made about them. Do you see the point? Respect and honour are things which are earned, they cannot simply be bestowed. And it's dangerous when we think they can. Heaven is a gift. Uh, Heaven is a gift which God grants to all who trust in Christ. But the Bible teaches there are degrees of honour in heaven. Uh, The way we live, the way we use what God has given to us will determine the honour we receive in heaven. There is no shortcut like James and John thought they could find. And listen to what Jesus himself said to them. Uh, He asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Jesus said, You will suffer. You will go through great hardship. James was one of the first Christian martyrs uh, killed by King Herod. Uh, John lived one of the longest lives of the apostles, but it ended, or at least the end of his life was spent on the Isle of Patmos, uh, exiled away from his friends and his family. Uh, Jesus said, You will taste of the cup that I must drink. But he says in verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Jesus gently corrects their thinking. He corrects their request. They do not understand what they are asking. And because they do not understand, they ask for the wrong thing. That's the disciples. That's James and John. But what about Bartimaeus? Uh, what did Bartimaeus want of Jesus? Well, it's very simple. Uh, look at verses 51, or just verse 51. It says, so Jesus answered and said to him, that's Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Waboni. Rabboni that I may receive my sight. Bartimaeus was blind. He could not see. And Jesus' question almost seems, in a way, ridiculous. He says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? But it's obvious. I want to see. And Jesus says to him in verse 52, go your way, your faith, has made you well. Bartimaeus received what he asked for. James and John did not. Bartimaeus asked something legitimate. James and John did not. This teaches us something about the difference between good praying. And bad praying. James and John prayed a bad prayer. Bartimaeus prayed a good one. Both asked for themselves, but the motivations in both was different. Ironically, although Bartimaeus was blind, he possessed understanding. The disciples, on the other hand, could see, but they lacked understanding of what they should ask. To explain what I mean, let me just read James chapter 4, verse 3. And just to clarify, this letter of James was written by a different James to the one we read in this passage. This was James, the brother of Christ. And in James chapter 4, verse 3, James wrote this. He said, you ask, in prayer, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Or as other versions put it, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your lusts. That's the difference between James and John's prayer and Bartimaeus' prayer. James and John's prayer was motivated by their lust. Bartimaeus's was motivated by a healthy desire. You might ask, well, what is a lust? What's the difference? What's the difference between lust and desire? Well, lust is illegitimate desire. Now, because we all know there's a, such a thing as good desire, isn't there? Uh, it's good to want to eat. Food is good. We need food to live. It's good to want to get something to drink. Uh, it's good to want all sorts of different things. Lust, on the other hand, is when those good desires get twisted. And they get twisted in the wrong direction or they get searched for in the wrong way or we go to the wrong person. That is what lust is. Lust always springs from a fundamentally good desire that's gone wrong. Remember Eve in the Garden of Eden and she saw the fruit that it was good to eat. Her desire for food was not wrong. Her attraction to the beauty of the fruit was not wrong. What was wrong is that she sought satisfaction in the one place that God had forbidden that satisfaction to be found. Her desire got twisted into the wrong direction. James and John in this passage, wanted honour. And honour is a good thing. We should all want honour. We don't want shame, do we? We don't want to be despised. It's not wrong to want to be honoured. The problem is they wanted to get it in the wrong way. They wanted to bypass the suffering and receive it another way. Use the lottery example again. It's not wrong to want money, fundamentally. We all need money to survive, don't we? That's why we work, in order to gain money. The desire for money, purely in and of itself, is not wrong. What's wrong is when we seek it in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons and take shortcuts, or seek to take it from the people who we should not take it. We can always want too much, or we want to get it in the wrong way, or for the wrong reasons. That's what lust is. That's how we know when our good desire has turned into lust, Uh, If you want me to put it even more simply, uh, lust is desire without a seatbelt. Lust is desire without God in the picture. It's saying I have this desire and I'm going to ignore what God says and I'm going to seek to satisfy this desire in whatever way I see fit. That's the path. James and John were setting down. And Jesus had to correct them. He had to say, That's not the path to honor. This isn't the way to get it. It's not for me to grant such a request. You do not understand. Bartimaeus, however, had a pure desire. He just wanted to see, it was a natural desire. It was a healthy desire. And he went to the one place where he could find it. That was Jesus. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. He had a desire, a good desire. A healthy desire and he went to the right place to the only place where he could get that request granted and we do well this evening uh, to examine our own hearts Uh, perhaps you've been asking for something for a long time and God has not granted it to you now it may be that you need to persevere With that prayer. Jesus did teach that, didn't he? That perseverance is a good thing. That we should sometimes keep on praying. But along with that, we should also test maybe the reason we're not receiving what we're asking for is because, like James warns, we want to spend it on our lusts. What we're asking from Jesus is actually a desire gone wrong, a desire that has got twisted. And perhaps we too need to hear the correction that Jesus gave to James and John. Thankfully, they learned the lesson. Uh, they learned what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said in verses 42 to 45. It says, Jesus called them to himself. I love that phrase, by the way. It almost sounds like it's almost like a parent calling his children who are bickering and squabbling amongst themselves. It says, Jesus called them to himself. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Do you notice what he says? He doesn't say you shouldn't desire to be great. He doesn't say that you shouldn't desire to have honor. What he says is the way to honor is to be a servant. The way up is down. It says, verse 44, whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's the lesson this evening. What do you want from Jesus? Is what you are asking for Motivated by your lusts? Or is it a healthy desire? A healthy desire which listens to what God wants. Which looks at the way Christ lived. Which listens to the things that Christ loved. And if we examine ourselves in that way, and if we pray accordingly, you'll be surprised at the number of answers you receive. You will be surprised at the ways in which God hears your prayers because you are praying according to his will and not against it. And that's why I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, a hymn which is really a prayer that God would accomplish that in our hearts. It's number 432. Give me the faith which can remove and sink the mountain to a plain. Give me the childlike praying love, the childlike prayer like Bartimaeus, which longs to build thy house again. Thy love, let it my heart power, and all my simple soul devour. So we'll close by singing number 432.